good people. You are listening to Feel Free to Deviate, the podcast about people, their careers, and their relationships with success. My name is Jim Turbert, and I am the host of the show. This episode of Feel Free to Deviate features musician and sonic consultant Adam Brilla. Adam and his wife Jennifer run a company called Stompox Sonic. What's a sonic consultant? Well, you're about to find out, so I will save my breath and spare you the minutes it would take me to explain. Spoiler alert, it's super cool. He also works in the IT department of a Boston area college and has had a string of jobby jobs along the way. This is a low-key episode sprinkled with bits of wisdom and whimsy, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. I usually mention social media at the end of the episodes, but if you have the inclination, pop over to Instagram and check me out at Feel Free to Deviate. I'm also trying TikTok right now. I'm also at Feel Free to Deviate there. I just signed up for this other thing called buymeacoffee.com. If you'd like to financially support the show with minimal commitment and effort, go to buymeacoffee.com slash feel free. Just feel free. You can make a small donation, leave a comment. I guess people follow people there too, but I'm not sure. I just started it. Anyway, thanks for listening. Get comfortable and get ready. This is my conversation with Adam Brilla. Did I break the podcast, Jim? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> the podcast is unbreakable. <laughs> it's made of stern, stern stuff. It really is. The sternest stuff. It's uh, primal. Why don't, why don't you introduce yourself and tell me, when, when people ask you, oh, what do you do? What do you tell them? Oh, gosh. Um, I guess it depends on who's asking and why. Uh, context. <laughs> I guess for the most part, I would say, hi, I'm Adam Brilla, and I am a musician, and um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's I'm, it. That's I'm a, a guy. <laughs> I'm a guy that does some stuff. I make some sounds. I help. I help people make sounds, and just sort of careen through life, trying to do as little damage as possible. That seems like a pretty good goal. Yeah, maybe maybe tidy up here or there, you know, if I'm able to. In in what regard? What way? What are you tidying besides well, your personal space? Personal space and whatever you know, unintended calamities I I instigate, like breaking the podcast, um, or you know, maybe not breaking it, but I like bumped into it <laughs> and it's kind of teetering. I'm like, whoa, what? Record let scratch. Me, <laughs> let me catch that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the podcast vase before it falls. No, nah, man, that wasn't before. your fault. That was my fault. <laughs> I, I like the fact that you you uh, you you started with musician, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that you mentioned that you're a maker of sound who helps people make sounds. That's one of the reasons I asked you on today because I know that you've been in in bands. You know, some people might know you as Adam. Some people might know you as the guy from Lock Groove. Some people might know you as the Broken River Prophet. And I, I actually don't even know what other bands you've been in since then. But I know that you have a jobby job. Inside, I'm, I'm a little pleased that you didn't jump to the jobby job for your uh, self-identification. That doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not curious about the jobby job, because I think that the jobby job is an important thing. And I want to know about that, too. But my my point is i'm i'm just i'm pleased to hear that you identify as the musician who helps people make sounds that's that's a, i think that's a noble calling well thank you yeah i've i've been trying to go back to that cuz i you know think about when i was younger and as the aspiring musician and thinking like this is 
that this is the path that I want to be on, you know, and the goal is to make music and be immersed in and around creativity as much as possible, you know, not just making, making it, but be surrounded by other people creating whatever their art is and just kind of having that just be the world. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and then it's like you work jobs until maybe that thing takes off, you know, and then over time, as happens to a lot of people, it's like that the dream doesn't pan out, you know? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> um, and so you either like, oh, I seem pretty good at this, or I went to school for that, or maybe you just wind up on a totally different path. And I just kind of wound up on in these different paths. But I tried to bring a lot of the approaches that I would have from being creative or from being in a band to other aspects and, you know, whatever careers to some extent that that serves me well because it, it didn't necessarily wanted to be like oh i can't be a musician so i'm gonna like go work at a record company or it was just sort of like oh i'm gonna do this work at this nonprofit, or i'm gonna work here or do these things but what what of my essence can i bring to the table you know and then at a certain point you just start to identify as like oh i am now a you know office manager or a accounts payable rep or you know work in educational technology you know i do these other things that sort of is on the business card and then the music thing is kind of secondary so i've sort of wrestled with that and i'm trying to get back into the maybe there's the two coexist equally or you know for the purposes of this podcast <laughs> maybe i'm more the the adam musician Sonic consultant. Sonic um, consultant. That's what I would put on the business card. <laughs> um, but all, are all those things that you just mentioned, things that you, you've actually been working as? Yes. Yeah. For how long? What are you doing now? What are you doing now for money? I, I am in educational technology at a university here in the Boston area. And it's interesting in rewarding work. And there's a lot that goes into that. You know, it's not just like one thing. And I think that's I mean, I guess life is a series of like realizations about things. <laughs> um, and one of the things that I always sort of struggled with is like your job is a series of tasks, right? So the job is defined by those tasks. But I never really thought of it as like there's the way that those tasks are presented in an elevator pitch or your resume. Because when you read this stuff, sometimes you're like, what the heck does this mean? Right. It sounds really cool and impressive. But, you know, in reality, it's crunching numbers and spreadsheets. And <laughs> is that what you're is that what you're doing yeah. at your at your job on the day to day? No, but just other job. I think when I had that epiphany at like other other jobs, it's just like because there was a period, you know, um, for a long time where I was in HR and payroll for, uh, for a nonprofit, you just get so into the, like the day to day of the thing. But then when you step back and you're like, Oh, I'm processing payroll for, you know, 350 people. Right. Is <laughs> like, that a good feeling? That, it's really stressful. Um, but it, when it goes well, it feels really good. There was a sort of like kind of going back to what I was saying about the lessons of being in a band that really came into play is that, you know, when you're on tour or you're playing a show or whatever, it's like the show must go on. So if the band breaks down or your amp blows up or, you know, you're injured or whatever, obviously there'll be points where you have to just call it. But for the most part, you're just like, how do okay. we solve this problem? Right. Like, okay, last night in Philly, my amp caught fire and we have a show in, you know, <laughs> Columbus, Ohio tonight. 
what do I do? You know, and like the van we discovered has a leak and all of our equipment, <laughs> you know, from the drive from Ohio to Chicago is like all of our amps and keyboards and stuff are filled with water. What do we do? Well, we got to figure something out because we've got a show in a couple of hours, <laughs> you know, and there's no like, well, in this particular instance, this is how you solve for that. Um, so in payroll, like obviously there's a lot more structure in terms of I would, I would say so. how things are done. But there are it, there are always challenges and situations where you're like, wow, that's okay. This is a new one and you adapt to it. And so it just sort of like that prepared me to kind of just like, all right, well, who knows what situation is going to walk through the door at any point in the process that you have to account for, you know, whether it be like, oh, hey, guess what? You know, this the board approved this, you know, pay raise. And I know you just submitted the payroll, but call the company and tell them we got to halt the checks and you got to recalculate everything and like okay (laughs) right Um, but again like you said those are those are tasks that you know you can perform they're not abstract they're not real challenges they're just things that need to happen and anyone that knows how can make them happen right and and i think but what's interesting is there's a certain flexibility in terms of and, and i mean flexibility in terms of like okay, the policy says, you know, you brought this in at such and such time and no, we can't make changes or do whatever. And let me see what we can do, you know, you know, so just being adaptable to that kind of stuff. So I guess it's more creative than I was thinking. And honestly, this does not sound very exciting. What, what school are you working at now? Cause I was like the IT guy for, for the art department at Wellesley. Oh yeah. I was just listening to, um, the latest episode and, you guys were referring to the cage. And yes. I remember you would talk about the cage. Yes. And I just remember kind of being fascinated by that. And also thinking it was really cool working for a university. I sort of like the idea of it because you're working for a place that is for the benefit of others. Indeed. You know what I mean? You know, like all jobs, there's pros and cons and everything. There are pros and cons. That is for there sure. There are pros and cons. But you know what I mean? Like it's, there's sort of a... You're working for a place that educates people. That's that's a, that's a good thing a good thing to put your energy into. Yeah. And you had access to, you know, awesome like the stuff. camera equipment and it was your job to be up on all this stuff, but it also kind of fed into, you know, my your... personal interests. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I loved it. I mean, I had mixed feelings about it, but for the most part, I loved it. And I was really, really excited when I got the job, it got old and, you know, because it's also a gigantic institution that despite being an educational institution is also sort of run like a corporation. <laughs> there are things that start to rub you the wrong way. I remember feeling, uh, feeling at the time that it, that I, I was being taken advantage of. And I believe I was being taken advantage of looking back now. I, I think that I would be pretty excited to be in that situation <laughs> at the very least, just to have access to the facilities. Yeah. Are there opportunities like that where you are now? There are, I have been, uh, dismissed as a a candidate for several of those positions, despite my many, many, many years of experience. But I think, I think that jobs like that are often insider affairs, you know, Mm -hmm. they, someone knows a guy or the guy that does it is it's just too good and he'll never let it go. I think that's just how it goes. There Mm -hmm. are also keep in mind people graduating from these programs. Those are kind of ideal jobs for recent graduates. (laughs) But what you know, whatever. What what is what what are what is your uh, IT job? Initially, it was more the um, classroom AV based. Our program had a hybrid program, so there was you know an in class on campus 
element and then also a remote element. So some classes would meet remote and then some, some days and then some days would be on campus. You know, in some ways we were prepared for, you know, we, no one was prepared for, <laughs> right, prior, right. but I mean, <laughs> we already had experience in, in the, the university separate from my group. There is a, there was a full online program. So we were able to, you know, pivot to all remote. Uh, because we already had, you know, between my team and the online team, there was documentation to prepare faculty for stuff. And my boss was just very much the sort of like chess playing strategic <laughs> mind who like kind of mid-January was like, have you guys been following this these news reports? What I want you to do is just think what we would need to transition all of our classes, because at the point we had, we had like maybe 40 that were hybrid and then maybe 300 on campus in-person classes, you know, just what would it take and just put together a little couple paragraphs, what we would need to do to make the switch. Send me any training guides you have, because most people who were teaching hybrid or teaching online knew they were going to be, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so they were sort of... Uh, went into or prepared. So it was just sort of like, okay, come up with a guy that's like, guess what? <laughs> Starting tomorrow, you need to, you know, so we sort of were, were kind of stockpiling webcams and microphones and headsets and tweaking our training material and making, um, you know, there were a lot of classes that were still like doing paper handouts and stuff like that. Of course. Um, even though that like we did have a online cloud-based learning management system, uh, but not all instructors opted to use. It was kind of, yeah, it's there if you want it. But we just went ahead and just created a site for everybody. I, I even went a step further and at least for like everyone in our office building, I just went around everyone's office and it was like, hey, Jim, how's it going today? You know, like, hey, I just wanted to stop by and hey, have you ever used, uh, you know, web conferencing <laughs> software, you know? Well, let me just give you a quick little spiel and oh, he, what's this? Oh, here, here's a headset. <laughs> <laughs> and a webcam and i just thought this might be really helpful for you um you know if you ever if you ever need to like hop on a meeting with somebody in your office and um actually you may want to just bring this home with you because you know maybe <laughs> you're just like uh, it's because it was jan you know january february i was like yeah maybe there's a snow day or something and but there's that important meeting you need to have um and this just may come in handy <laughs> yeah i guess it came in handy because uh, my whole thing was to try to like not get people to panic, right? Um, and be, be be familiar with this new thing before it was like a necessity. So instead of like four hundred people <laughs> teaching them all how to you know use this new thing, it was just ease them into it. Ease ease them into it, or it was like, oh wait, oh I have to connect this stuff to Mike. Oh okay, that's right. You went you went over that with me. Cool. Or you sent me an email with those instructions. Cool. Okay. Um, there was still some stressful times, but I'm sure there were when it started here. I remember I was really surprised how well the teachers at, at uh, my kids' school dealt with it. They got up and running really fast, but most of the teachers there are pretty young and they're pretty uh, good good with technology. But one of my old uh, co-workers was saying that, yeah, the teachers at his school were not on it. They were, they were, they were, you know, they were older teachers. And not resistant to the technology, but it was like a second or third language even for them. So mm -hmm. it took a long time for them to get rolling in any sort of efficient way. And obviously it's different because it's, it's, it's elementary school. But 
I can see any group of educators could use a, a lot of handholding and encouragement. Anyway, it sounded like you handled it handled it pretty well. Yeah, it was interesting, and and it was an interesting experience to have in terms of like you know because there's a, the actual doing the thing, but it's also interesting to think about like the way things can translate can either easily translate to doing things to this new format of, you know, being all online and what doesn't translate. And then also just kind of getting people comfortable with it. And I imagine it was like with anything, but the hurdles that you encounter and people's willingness or ability to overcome them. And then one's own ability, like in this case, my ability to help coach somebody through it. The end result is the same, you know, to get everything working and people feeling comfortable sure, and being sure. able to, to, to perform, you know, their jobs, you know, sort of meeting people where they're at to get them where they need to be. So uh, that was, <laughs> it, it was an interesting, interesting life lesson. You know, I think it's, it definitely is, is applicable to sort of all, all things. <laughs> <laughs> Every single thing. So it sounds like you've been collecting all these jobs, and and it also sounds like you uh, you invest yourself in it. The impression that I'm getting is that if the other stuff, like the the guitar pedal stuff, took off, or a band a band took off, you wouldn't have any problems leaving these jobs. But you also are okay working these jobs because you don't feel personally or morally compromised by doing these things. It sounds like you take them seriously, and and you 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 actually uh, you help people. Yeah, I tried to. And, and, and I try to only do things. It's kind of like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah. And I'd sometimes you have to f- sort of find that balance of like, okay, not everything can be like, you give it 2000% any job or anything you're passionate about or anything that pays the bills or, or, you know, that you feel a sense of duty to, at least for my personality, like things can become all consuming really quickly. And so I have to constantly like balance or juggle things. Even with like the the music stuff, it's just like I get so into like, I'm going to put together this tour or like planning a recording. It's easy to just get so engrossed in that, that it's like, oh wait, I actually need to, you know, finish writing some material or I should be practicing or you know what i mean right right um, yeah no you get uh, you get caught up in uh the minutiae of of maybe something that's less important maybe it's just as important but still you need to you you need to spread the efforts over the entire project not just exactly one specific thing really seriously the reason i i asked you is because i wanted to talk about music stuff but i'm also curious i know that you went to the university of vermont does your degree have anything to do with any of the jobs that you've been doing I never finished my degree. Bum, 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 bum. Because of music. No, I, I had encountered some, some health stuff and, um, I wasn't able to, to stay in Vermont and had to, had to move, move back home. Yeah. And I, I, I had to say, I, I was only there for a year. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I know I just interrupted you, but I'm just curious. <laughs> there were some overlaps with our acquaintances you're, you, you were friends with Kira and Laura and Marty. I was friends with them or, you know, friendly with them. How, how did how did we not know each other when we were at yeah. UVM? 
I, I was thinking about that recently and I've thought about it a lot, like whenever it would come up, you know, when we would talk about it because we were both in living and learning, right? I, would, I was in Harris Millis. You were Harris. Okay. I don't remember if it was, I think it was Harris. I don't remember which one it was, but you know, if there was ever like an open band night, I was at the open band night. I was always at shows downtown. I was always mm-hmm. bumping into Kira and Laura everywhere. I went to shows with Marty. Marty and I hitchhiked from UMass to UVM one night after a Sonic Youth show. <laughs> like, I, oh my I, God. I just don't even, I like, I just have no idea how I didn't know you. <laughs> yeah. That I want, that's a whole story I need to, I need to hear. It's, it's funny those, those situations where it's just like, yeah, cause it's like, not only should we have crossed paths and it's strange that we didn't, but it's also like, we would have totally just been friends. We probably would time. have. And then, and then, but then, and then how, how, how crazy is it that we, we met in Boston through totally different channels? <laughs> mm-hmm. That's so awesome. It's just one of the mysteries of the ages. It totally is. Yeah. But yeah, when I was at UVM, my my major was going to be in classics, envisioned sort of just becoming completely immersed in like classical mythology. And I kind of wanted to branch out into like all mythologies and to learn ancient Greek. And I was also going to have study electronic music and um, (laughs) none of that really panned out. Dude, Um, that is so crazy. Like when I was there... I was only there for a year, but one of the classes I was taking in my in my first year, maybe you were in it, was <laughs> was about the uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, <laughs> and, oh, uh... <laughs> and I took this electronic music course with a guy. I think his name was Robert Wigness. Even even there at UVM, like it sounds like I was in the same area as you. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's um, that's really funny. <laughs> Whatever. But you were like deep in the classics. I had an interest in it and it was that, you know, I guess when you're at that age, you're under a lot of pressure to sort of figure out what your life's going to be and feeling like though all the odds are not in my favor to become a professional musician playing the kind of music that I wanted to play. So I should have, you know, the fallback career. I've since learned in life that everything has some sort of like hierarchy and power structure, but it just seemed like, oh, if I'm in academia and just kind of get to read and teach and hang out and <laughs> study and sounds pretty always, good, always be learning and and experiencing new information and then sharing that with others, and that just seemed kind of like, oh, yeah, it seems like a cool thing, and then I, I don't want to wear like suits but i have no problem with tweed sport coats and i think that's like i i could rock a tweed sport coat and you know if i have to wear a tie but it doesn't seem like all professors have to wear a tie no, they don't Especially i already now. have glasses so it's like it seems like a no-brainer you look um, like you could you look like you could fit in at a faculty meeting <laughs> thank you yeah now now that everything's a lot grayer it's um <laughs> yeah it's more in my favor and i have on more than one occasion been mistaken for a professor so so i guess i can see how that might happen but what, what did you want to be when you were a kid well once i realized the jedi wasn't an option oh, um it was what a disappointment it was super disappointing um so then yeah there was like astronaut scientist were um were up there artist was one because my dad was an artist he uh he worked for a company uh for like an ad company and he designed the premiums that would go into cereal 
boxes and also Happy Meal toys. That is very cool. So it's sort of that early like inspiration too of like having a creative job, you know, working within sort of the day-to-day structure of life. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like there, it was like, it was normal to have like a creative, you know, oh, right, right, a, right. a lot of creativity. So when guidance counselors or whomever started to put pressure on like, oh, you need to become whatever these career paths is just sort of like do i really though (laughs) right or like you know you buy into it because this is an authority figure saying these things but you sort of also are aware there's some wiggle room there is and it but it's also it's good that you had had that as a role model because yeah i mean i was talking with somebody else on the show recently and you know she's kind of you know a progressive thinking educator and yeah i was just saying that no matter how much i believe things need to change or how many things i'd like to change i'm still deeply programmed with the idea that this is the way you have to do it and there's only one way and you have to work within this particular system otherwise you're kind of screwed and in a way that's the case but does it have to be Mm-hmm. But you you uh, saw someone who was, uh, I mean, it's nice, especially since it was someone so close that was your dad that was uh, finding a way, I don't know, maybe not beat the system, but work comfortably within the system. Definitely. And 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 it was valuable to see, too, that there were, um, I think, to a lot of people, and maybe it's like when you're getting into art or people who are around, you know, people's outside opinion of what it means to be an artist or, you know, a musician or actor, you know, any kind of of the creative fields is that it's not real work. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, you're just, you're just strumming on your guitar or banging <laughs> on those drums or, yeah. you know, paint, painting pictures or, you know, photos. but it's like the pressure to deliver something is very real. Of course it is. <laughs> and it's not something that you turn on. You can learn to sort of keep a flow and also like you sort of develop, a repertoire of things that you can kind of draw on. Because um, I would see, like, he would, whatever the brief was, he'd come up with several designs. But also, if he thought of an idea or if we were somewhere and he, you know, like, oh, that's fairly cool, or like, he'd make notes of things or little sketches and just kind of file them away. So it was just like, you know, similar to like a songwriter might like, sure, yeah, have yeah. a lyric idea. Save this for like, later. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not going to sit down and write a whole song right now, but I'm going to just jot down this thing or hear this melody. Let me just like figure it out and record it. So you just sort of have it stashed away for those times when you're like, crap, I need like, I need a song. And then also just sort of see like what he would do to kind of like get into that creative mode when he needed to sort of what was required to like separate from other things to, to be in that space. And then also realizing, you know, when you're in, school or whatever like the arts like oh you take art class or music or whatever in sports but it's like it's like a thing that's important but people feel like other things might be important do you really need it though right (laughs) and seeing that like in in the workplace that was sometimes the case too yeah i think it's uh it's universal and they also view artists as sort of art machines where they're like ah you're an artist make me some art (laughs) <laughs> and, and you're like, ah, it doesn't really work that way. They don't really understand. Oh, you're a musician. Write me a song. It, it's uh, they, they kind of uh, belittle and show their complete misunderstanding of what it means to, uh, yeah. to, to be a musician or an artist or a creator of stuff. And I think that's an interesting thing to explore, too, is because there are artists and musicians that can do that. And that's 
and that's that's their gift and that's like a whole like subsection because there are people who could just like okay yeah you want a song what do you want it to be about and okay what what style would you like they can deliver anything but they need you have to give like the input values and then (laughs) it can happen (laughs) right it and and it's like it's all there all the time they just need that and then i guess i would fall more in the camp of i can only do a few things but it sort of happens when it happens (laughs) (laughs) and there are people who do what i I think I can do better than me, but I've also realized that that it's like the ability to have something kind of more detached from whatever. <laughs> um, not everybody has. Like a, a really good example of this is we had done an effects clinic at Berkeley College of Music for for some harp players, which is super awesome to this just be around. Super like cool. A, a group of harp players, like. It was like as much a treat and a, you know, a gift to just be exposed to that. Yeah. <laughs> and like these folks who are essentially being trained to be concert performers or, you know, yeah. uh, do this full time. I'd be explaining the effects and stuff. And what was really interesting would be like, okay, you know, just, just play a little bit and I'll, I'll manipulate these effects and I'll explain it, what's happening. But their, their study is so regimented that it's like, you don't just play. They either need a piece of music or I just be like, okay, just play something, um, in a minor key, you know, had to be very specific or like, okay, play something kind of staccato because um, this is going to be a like really ambient reverb. And so I just want like pluck a, a low note and a high note or something. And it's great because their instructor kind of picked up on it and they're like, oh, you know, so-and-so, why don't you play, you know, such and such as piece? So I had to sort of learn to to give them advice. I'm so used to like music, you know, we just kind of get together and jam and like throw around some ideas. Yeah. And it's like, not that they couldn't just improv something. I'm sure they could. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just like, that's, it just not, it's not what they do. So, but we had a really great, it was just a really great thing. Like this is free form. You can do whatever you want. But it was really fun to, to have that experience of, you know, they have all this musical ability and all this musical knowledge, Uh but in that situation, they were like a little unsure of what to do or how to, <laughs> right. how to, inst- they, they were looking work. for permission or something. Yeah. Whereas <laughs> like with rock and roll musicians or, you know, kind of coming from like the shoegaze background, it's just like, or, or especially like guitarists have no problem just like walking in like, oh, guitar, <laughs> let me pick this up and Listen I'm going to me. <laughs> do some stuff here. So it's always sort of ha- take that for granted. So I was like, oh, cool. Okay. This is really this is really great information to sort of know when I'm in a situation like this. To So were they into it? Oh, they were totally into it. And um, one of the things that was, was fascinating too was they were really into things that change the character of the harp. So like with a harp, you know, you're plucking, so it's all attack. We hooked up like volume pedals so they could like pluck and then fade a chord in so that it would get like more of a violin kind of sound. That was just like game changing. I can imagine. <laughs> it, it was really awesome. Um, but also like because there's the range is so much greater, like it goes much higher and much lower than a guitar. Certain things that sound kind of cool on guitar, like distortions and fuzzes and stuff, it didn't quite translate. Okay. Um, and because there's more more strings and more overtones being generated as the notes decay, it's like some like if you have a distortion and hit like the power chord on a guitar it's like yeah it's gigantic but the harp already sounds gigantic it doesn't need that it's sort of like it almost kind of like clutters the sound 
What about like a a bubbly envelope filter effect or something? Yeah, the envelope stuff was was a lot of fun and like like some of the reverbs and and delays because then it's sort of like you could emulate being in a concert hall or in a space oh, yeah, that's yeah, different. Yeah. And some of the more subtle things were more impactful on the harp. You did this a couple times at Berkeley, but do you get called in to do stuff like that other places or or even like maybe with high school kids? We did a couple high school events and um, there's a, a, a music school called The Real School that does lessons for a bunch of different instruments. So we just did uh, uh, an, an event with them as well. And then there's a, a program uh, called Zoom Mix in Boston that has a bunch of music programs. They have their own radio station, like student radio station. Awesome. And so, yeah, we've we've done stuff with them as well. And, you know, when we do those, we try to incorporate and show the possibility. You know, obviously, we're a guitar players, so that's kind of how we approach it. But we try to either, you know, have musicians who play other things to demonstrate it, or I'll have, like, MP3s of, like, some drum loops or strings or piano or something to show it can be an entire mix. You keep saying we. Who are we? We is is me and my wife Jennifer. Oh, it's just the two of you. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Well, first of all, what you what do you call yourselves? We're Stompbox Sonic. Yeah, you are. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Why don't you explain what Stompbox Sonic is? Because I, I guess I don't even really have a full understanding of it. I thought that you were just like people who sold guitar pedals to sort of feed your own guitar pedal addiction. That may have been and still is a contributing factor. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> um, but mostly through effects pedals. Well, one, we, we try to find and work with builders that we really believe in, that we think are making interesting, unique effects or just kind of like workhorse effects that just like get the job done or reliable you can tour with you can record with and they're gonna gonna last uh reinterpretations of classic designs um or just doing really new interesting things and then we work collaboratively with musicians sound-based artists to find the right gear for their sound you know create an experience where people can be exposed to different things, but also be able to try out different things in a comfortable setting, a judgment-free setting. You know, we do these events, uh, but we also have a space that people can schedule it's by appointment only. And that way there's not that audience or other customers competing for attention or, you know, competing sound wise is basically you come in we'll have had a discussion before you come in to talk about you know what what your goals are maybe there's specific requirements like i it, i need something that has this feature set or i've heard a lot about this company or i whatever it is so we pull out a selection and stuff for you and and then we go from there how close is this to being something that could sustain your life it uh it ebbs and flows yeah <laughs> It's a lot of fun to do and, you know, it's, it's really rewarding and it's just kind of an ongoing thing. You know, there's always more stuff to learn about or like new ways of combining things. And that is really exciting and part of the challenge. How, how long have you been doing it? The Stompbox? Uh, I started it in the fall of 2009 and it's been going ever since. But were you always doing the workshops and stuff before? Or was it mostly just selling stuff? There was a... I would call them sound tastings. So it would be <laughs> basically like an opportunity for people to come in and, you know, it would be sort of featuring whatever the newest new things were. And then, you know, inviting people to come and try out different things and 
my inspiration was to be kind of like a mix of gallery opening mixed with like a happening, you know, cause it's yeah. like, I wanted people to just come from all walks of life and to play, you know, the early ones were, it was just like one station. So you'd like everyone took a turn, you know, the idea would be like, you could be browsing the selection of stuff, but then be like, Oh wow, this sounds awesome. What are you doing? And guys, I really wanted to spark that kind of interaction so that people from different genres or different instruments would kind of communicate, like breaking down barriers and learning a little bit about what someone else does, because it's it's sometimes easier like, oh, I never thought to do that. That's really cool. And then have a conversation about that. We, we did a, a, those for a few years and then we would have a vendor booth at some of the punk rock kind of flea markets, craft fairs, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, I give everyone the opportunity to, to drive and manipulate the effects and I just kind of noodle um, because that's part of the fun is that interactive element. I feel like this is universal. It's not just musicians. I think it's anybody, maybe even especially adolescents. You give them a guitar and some way to change the sound, like even if it's just plugging into GarageBand or, or Logic mm -hmm. or, or some program on the computer, you start playing things and then you've got a million effects to select from. You can just like, I'm going to try all of them and you mm -hmm. get to hear what all of them do. And it is awesome. It's it's super, super awesome. And I think that it's it's something that appeals to everybody, whether it sticks and it becomes a lifestyle choice, that's up to the individual. But I feel like it's universally appealing. I feel like most people enjoy that power and that feeling. Definitely. And and it, it's fun to be able to to offer that. And to me, that's, that's enough a lot of the times. You know, obviously, it would be great to sell a bunch of pedals. And, <laughs> that would be good. But, I, you know, my my measure a lot of times of a, of a successful event is is just seeing how psyched somebody gets about a thing it's a sort of sense of fulfillment that is in some ways comparable to when you're you know when i'd be performing and you see people really connecting with a song or a piece of music and you're getting really into it so do you feel like you're succeeding at life then because it sounds like you're you're doing things <laughs> that you you want to do or and if you don't or what is what is what is uh or how do you judge how do you judge success i guess i guess the criteria i use are kind of varies because where I was saying before about the the events, the events, and just seeing someone kind of get lost in playing, and and then all of a sudden, like the hugest grin grow across their face, like yeah. that's that's just priceless, you know. That's pretty. Yeah, awesome. yeah, but that, that, but that's like on a case to case, day to day, project to project basis. Yeah, I'm just wondering, but, like, do you feel satisfied or? What does satisfaction look like? Yeah, we've had some really cool opportunities getting invited to to participate in different things or, or you know, special experiences. So like this summer we were invited, there was uh, this fellow Kent who organizes the New England Synth Fest and we had participated in one a, a couple of years ago, but this year he partnered with the Museum of Science and it was the first Thursday of every month. Kent wanted to have um, interactive exhibits and then they were going to have uh, electronic musicians partnered with a visual artist in either the planetarium or the omni theater and so we were invited to have an effects exhibit um, in each of them 
one, it was fun to be able to put something together for that, but also just like growing up in New England, the Museum of Science. The Museum like, of Science, man. It's that's the Museum dope. of Science. This is like <laughs> that is the know, coolest. <laughs> you know, like and to be able to to kind of be presenting something there, you yeah. know. And then it's like it's after hours and Definitely. You know, like getting to hang out and you know, the museum had they had a, a a booth where they had like pulled some stuff from their collection that was sort of related to music or audio recording yeah um and just different stuff and then chatting with the museum stuff so it was just kind of like this is super cool so you feel like you're doing um, it then yeah that's not something that goes on the business plan that you could foresee it's just a cool thing and just like wow i guess we did something right because <laughs> here we are <laughs> yeah um <laughs> I guess when I was a teenager, you know, my sort of marks of success, like I kind of hit most of those. So it's sort of that, you know, when people always like, you need to dream bigger. Um, <laughs> what what so, were your marks of success? <laughs> so, you know, one would be to like play the Middle East or TTs. Um, <laughs> yes. Check I, or, and I, check. <laughs> check and check. And, and I think it was one of those, like, you know, someone's like, that's it. That seems like pretty reasonable. But, you know, when you're like, 16 or 17 it seems pretty unattainable like, unattainable and i was like okay well i want to play there but have because i always think of like you know like the the twists in a lot of the like horror or pseudo horror movies where it's just like careful what you wish for yeah so it's like oh yeah i guess i could play there and like nobody would show up <laughs> or like pelted with something so it's like okay and play there and people are gonna be into it um, and we won't get pelted with something. Um, <laughs> Reasonable goal. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like tweaking, tweaking the, the thing. <laughs> and then, you know, make a record or, you know, play out of state or whatever. Um, so then it's uh, like, okay, well, we got those. So we'll just see what comes next. Right. <laughs> you know, I have difficulty sort of achieving milestones. So I try to keep them vaguer. You know, because it's like, okay, I would love to hit like whatever sales milestone. And I know like real businesses can do this. They and do it all the time. How to do it. And I haven't sort of, I guess, read that pamphlet on how to do that. But, <laughs> um, but I would just keep thinking of like, just what's the next unique, interesting thing that kind of feels right, you know? I think that that's a healthy way to do it. I, I like the, the unexpected you know, the nice unexpected things that come up. <laughs> so what's, uh, what's the best place you've ever played? Hmm. Oh gosh, this is a tough one. Um, <laughs> one of them was, would be a rooftop in Brooklyn. My friend, Michael, um, it was like friends of his had this art organization. He was asked to put together something to perform. They're going to have a bunch of artists play on the roof of their building. And so we kind of, put together this project and a bunch of us and we put together this thing and he he had a lot of these um semi-electronic like he had some pre-recorded tracks uh the project was called blast zone and it was almost like if jesus lizard was doing <laughs> kind of like a free jazz thing but with like some beats and electronic elements okay so we went and we, we filled up a car with just like a huge amount of equipment Pink Floyd Pompeii style. Excellent. Like, giant pile of gear playing on the roof. And it was, I want to say it was, 
like a little bit after the 4th of July because I remember there was a storm coming in. So it was like extra cloudy and dark. Uh-huh. And it kind of like reflected all the city light. You know what I mean? Like I do know what you mean. All the light of the city like sort of creates this like illuminated kind of ceiling. But then off in different areas, there would be the like odd little fireworks burst. And I just remember playing on that rooftop. We just went nuts looking around at my friends and be like, what are we doing? This is amazing. Um, Like, this is just so much fun. And like, there's a bunch of people there and just like looking around 360 degrees at the city. Again, it just, that was one of those things that like, it just happened. And it was like, what are you doing on Saturday? (laughs) That was definitely uh, a highlight. Um, And then I um, participated. Do you remember Kevin Micah? From Boston, he he had a group called a solo project called Animal Hospital. He also yeah. played in Common Cold. So Animal Hospital is like his solo thing. He looped his himself playing guitar and drums. Um, but a few years into it, he was like, "Wouldn't it be cool if I had a full band to play all the looped parts?" Dun 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 dun. So he did a few of them in various configurations, and I can't really pick a favorite one, but I will pick one just because it was the first one. We all learn these parts and multiple people play the same part. So it's kind of like synchronized swimming. Uh-huh. And we play in a, we would play in a circle around the audience and the audience would sit in the middle. <laughs> That's crazy. I wish I was there. So there were two drummers, like 20 guitarists. <laughs> and, and for <laughs> Take some it of back. The, I, I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> it's for some of the, some of the performances had, had a string section as well. <laughs> And so Kevin would conduct and he'd play, you know, a part or he'd cue a part. And then it would be like, it was rare that all everyone was playing all at the same time. But it was like having the ultimate surround sound thing. You were literally surrounded and you may be looking at me playing the part, but I'm 30 feet away from you. And the person, the person who's playing the simultaneous part is closer to you so you're looking at me but hearing it behind you Mm -hmm. and then sometimes they would do things like we would like ping pong so it's like i'd start it and stop and then someone else would play and then we're playing in unison so constantly coming in and out like that we did that in a few different venues but those are really fun because even as like the performer you're totally immersed in it (laughs) yeah i can imagine it's a it's completely unique every single time it happens as any performances i suppose but this is a a special case Who's the best band you ever opened up for? Not the best. The, what, what was your favorite opening band experience? That's a good question. Or the one that freaked you out the most because you were like a super fanboy. Like <laughs> you just couldn't believe that you were playing, you were opening up for this band. <laughs> Definitely one was um, when we opened for Sonic Boom of Spaceman 3. Because that was probably like the the first person that like everyone in Lockroof was a huge fan of that was really extraordinary yeah. <laughs> and stressful. Um, and so I had this funny experience where he, that the, the two twins in the band were like, he needed a place to stay. So he's, they were like, Oh, you can, you can crash at our place. And, um, we all drove back and we're hanging out and I was like, all right, I, you know, it's one of those things like, I really want to hang out. Can and, I stay too? <laughs> but I was like, I got it. I got to work in the morning, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but he really, he had a crazy, he really wanted, um, strawberry quick <laughs> what you like this this <laughs> craving for strawberry quick and so i took him to the convenience store to do that 
I was like, all right, let's go. I'll take you to the convenience store and then drop you off. And then I, I got to go home. So then that was just like, you know, the whole time I'm like trying to play cool. But I mean, it was also like, you know, whatever, three o'clock in the morning. So I was like pretty tired. So it was like a little easier to play it cool. <laughs> but I just the whole time I was like, I'm driving Pekember. He's strawberry quick. This is awesome. <laughs> he's wearing the sunglasses. Like he's of just course, like yeah. total like three in the morning. Strawberry total quick. coolness. Sunglasses. Um, like you know you can't tell. Like he's just like super stoic. So and he was like totally quiet. So I was like, I think I may have like tried to chit chat a little bit, but then was just like, cool. We're just gonna get quick and play it cool. <laughs> Black Groove has been disbanded, correct? Yeah, I think we never we never officially broke up, but it it just sort of it wound down and and everyone kind of did their their own thing. Because I remember you started doing Broken River Profit, and uh, do you still play solo gigs? I haven't in a long time. I did some recording, like released some some stuff online, and and lately things have been a little more just fun cover things. Like I played one of the Malden porch fests with some friends and we did like oh, i think 90s. i saw that on social media yeah some 90s indie rock and that was super fun a tinker tinker around a little bit you said before that you always try to be learning something mm -hmm. what are you what are you learning right now what am i learning <laughs> <laughs> uh, gotcha <laughs> got me busted <laughs> um there's a, a a surprise birthday party coming up later this year so i've been learning some songs for that very literal learning one of the songs has slide guitar on it and i've never been able to get my head around like conceptually i know how it works <laughs> yes <laughs> but i've never <laughs> i've never stuck with it long enough to make it sound good yeah i think that that's the case with a lot of people like that's why there's like four guys that you think about when <laughs> <laughs> so i've been trying to do that but what's been interesting is sort of my psychological profile as i learn covers is i'm like oh yeah i i think this is in my wheelhouse or i love this song or you know i love this band blah 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 and then i get into it and i'm like what was i thinking why do i even play guitar what is even <laughs> like there's a point where there's like such an existential breakdown that it's like apocalypse now or something <laughs> and then i come out and, and then it's sort of like my ability to snap back from that to be like, oh, wow, cool. Okay, I totally uh, got this. It worked out. <laughs> or like, I, I know what's happening now and I'll just play it through like a hundred more times and be able to actually do it. But it's like, I now know what's what's involved. But one of the things that was interesting about this particular, uh, one of these pieces is, and I don't like playing guitar solos. So this is, it's like a challenge to like learn someone's solo. But this particular, uh, this is a David Gilmore guitar line. And what amazes me is like laid back's not the right word, but it's like effortless. There's no, yeah, there's, there's an effortless floating quality and like, uh, and there's parts where like a lot happens and he bends notes like, like up a whole step, two steps. Um, they're like crazy, but it's just like, nothing is hurried. Like everything has its place and yeah. it's so relaxed, but it's like, carries so much weight there's like gravitas to it and 10 it's like, four, dude i totally know what you're talking about <laughs> um and it's cool to be like okay there's the like play what the person's playing but can you inhabit that persona that's what's been kind of fascinating about learning the covers is like oh yeah i know the chords or i know the notes da, 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 da. 
but it's like inhabiting the song in a mm-hmm. in a way that's not just you're performing the song on a superficial level yeah yeah and maybe i'm just getting too too deep into it and nope you're, you're thinking think... the right stuff i think so so that's that's one thing i'm learning um all right podcast pitch podcast pitch okay here's our podcast Jen. it's called dead ends <laughs> each episode is a thing that we thought we really wanted to do a podcast on okay you know either individually or together yep and then hitting the conclusion that no now this isn't gonna work (laughs) right (laughs) and maybe it's like one episode is like eight minutes and we're like i really thought this you know lawn dart podcast was really gonna take off and i would be really you know i found my niche and then it's like nope took x amount of time into it and nope and then another one, maybe it's like a two-hour episode, and we're like, yeah, we're right. And then it just fizzled, fizzles at the end. Like, do we have to do another episode on this? A two-hour episode about a single reverb pedal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't tempt me. <laughs> Someone would listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> What's the ice cream situation there? It's uh, it's all right. You know, there's some good places, but it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not going to change your life. I, I have thought about several times trying to eke my way into the uh, the ice cream ice cream game with some ultra premium, but I'm not convinced the Dutch people would pay for it because it's hmm. expensive. I did recently make some of my own. You know, I experimented a little bit. I don't have an ice cream machine, but I was looking at ways to do it with a food processor. It tasted great, but it, it was really icy. So I have to adjust the recipe to try to uh, reduce or eliminate ice crystals. Yeah, that I I dabbled in it, and I don't know if you have this experience where you want to gain a certain skill set, and you throw a lot of time into it, <laughs> and the progress isn't there for the amount of time expended. I have had that experience because I'm totally fine. You're not going to be an expert first time, fifth time, tenth time, but there's there's a point where it's like I need to see a little bit of marked improvement. And for me, that was was ice cream, and it it pained me. What was the problem? It just was. Um, it wasn't good. I mean, it, like the flavor <laughs> was fine, but it was it didn't come out like ice cream. You know, yeah, and yeah. each time was some remarkably different outcome. Do you think you'll go into the ice cream cookie sandwich? I, dude, you're reading my mind. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, I. I just want to make sure that uh, that's where we're headed. Did all the interests align? Yes, I. You are reading my mind. I have. I've definitely thought about that, and uh, I already have ideas. I'm gonna go chocolate chip cookie, but with a crispier. No, I don't want it to be hard crispy, but I want it to be a crispier chocolate chip cookie because I need the structure to hold it together. And it, you need that structure, but you don't want it to be like. The, the shatter, like you bite into it and exactly. it shatters. Dude, you understand. I'm glad that we're on the same page. I'll keep you posted. Or maybe well, I'll, I'll make a social media video about it. Definitely. Because yeah. that's no, what I do now. You generate content. I do. Um, <laughs> I, I was thinking it would be funny if to promote each guest, instead of having like a picture, you post a picture of your recording setup, like your microphone. Excited for this week's guest, you know, and then a little thing about it. But mm-hmm. it's like it's just the microphone or some some variation on that. 
something when we were talking about Locker earlier reminded me that we would sometimes do that kind of as a joke for like that engineers we would ask for a microphone to be just set up in the room and like oh is that to get like the like the room the room tone. And, 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 and they were like no that's the vibe mic <laughs> it's just to get like the feeling yeah if you look at the promo pictures and, and videos for most podcasts, they all involve the microphone. And I actually made one picture once that was kind of a joke of me with the microphone directly in front of my face so you couldn't see my face. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't really understand why the microphone needs to be in all the pictures. Like, this is what I'm doing. Maybe you won't get it unless you see the damn mic in my face. Th those are all vibe mics. But it also... Ugh, yeah, I just don't I don't I never really wanted to do that except for as a joke because mm -hmm. it, it it just feels a lot like you know broadcast radio and I feel like the whole purpose of having podcasts is that it's not broadcast radio. When I hear something that's that sounds too compressed or like the the producer is trying to make the host's voice sound way deeper than it actually is, it, <laughs> it really turns me off. Yeah, you have to get get past that to enjoy the content. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying that I wouldn't give something a chance with that sound, but it turns out that a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I end up listening to, they don't sound like historically broadcast voices. You know, they're just they just sound like people who mm -hmm. are either journalists or you know, they're funny and they're talking and it sounds like a person talking and I like that cuz I, you know, I'm a person too. Yep, you are. <laughs> Can confirm. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Thanks for being on the show, Adam. Thanks for having me, Jim. It was great talking and catching up. It was good. And um, I'll let you know how it goes with the ice cream sandwiches. That was Adam. Just so you know, and this is time dependent, but if you're listening to this on or around the initial release date, Adam shared a video of a harpist demonstrating 50 different guitar effects on his website, stompboxonic.com. It's not his video, but it's super freaking cool. And it will almost certainly give you a better idea of what he was talking about near the beginning of the episode. I appreciate Adam's thoughtful and practical approach to pretty much everything he talks about, from relishing rooftop moments with friends to his musings about his dad's work as a creative and how that influenced him. There are a lot of tasty nuggets in this one. Thanks a lot for being on the show, Adam. It was super fun, and I hope you had a good time as well. And thank you, dear listener. I hope you got something out of it. Check out my social contributions to the internet on Instagram and or TikTok. You can find me at Feel Free to Deviate. Like and follow and interact with all my amazing promotional posts. And if you're feeling generous, check out my newest link, buymeacoffee.com slash feel free. It's just feel free. It's a good way to support the show if you feel so inclined. But hey, the fact that you're listening is enough for me. Still, you, you can't blame a guy for wanting more. It, it's human nature. Oh, I also have a website. Go to feelfreetodeviate.com if you like websites. I have no idea who the next guest is. None. But I'm not worried. And you shouldn't be either. Thanks again for listening and spending your time with me. I know that you have a lot of options out there. And yeah, I'll be back in two weeks with a mysterious unknown guest. 